Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy scriptures, that you reveal yourself in them and through them to us. And we pray that this morning in this preaching that you would uh, reveal your glory to us, that we would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and that our hearts would be stirred up to long to be in your presence, um, to, to become more heavenly minded as we long for you to return and make all things new. So God, we pray that you would bless us to this end. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Seeing is believing, or so they say. As the kids used to say, picks or it didn't happen. Uh, that's a, that tends to be the way that we think about our lives often, right? We, we, uh, we want all the data before we make a decision, before we take a step. I know I'm like this. I want as much data as I can possibly get so that I feel reasonably confident that I'm making a good decision, especially if it's something big that my life hangs on. But the reality is uh, there are many things in life, such as marriage, where you can't have all the data beforehand. And you have to go with what you know and put your faith and trust in that person and, and hope that you will see faithfulness and love and patience and long-suffering and all of these things. We tend to think seeing is believing, but the reality is I think it's the opposite. Believing is seeing. I was actually reading a book uh, called Believing is Seeing by Michael Guillen. He, he is a PhD from Cornell um, in three disciplines. Uh, I think it's astrophysics or astronomy, physics, and mathematics. And it, this book is about his journey of going from being an atheist or at least an agnostic, to becoming a believer in Jesus. And he says, even in the highest levels of acad scientific academia, believing is seeing. Uh, for instance, he gives the example of um, the virial theorem, which is uh, how science describes how quickly a galaxy rotates. And he says that all of the galaxies in the known universe rotate far faster than they ought to based on how much matter we know is in them. And this is where the theory of dark matter came from. And if dark matter is real, and I'm not saying for sure one way or the other, but if dark matter is real, then that means 95% of what exists in our universe cannot be seen or measured or experienced by human beings. And that is a finding not of religion and spirituality, but of physics, astrophysics. He also talks about the quantum vacuum. So if, if you believe in uh, a non God version of the Big Bang Theory, then you have to somehow believe that the quantum vacuum, the state before everything, was nothing and yet also contained everything. And again, this is a place where believing comes before seeing. There's no way to measure that, to know that, and it's a mystery how that could be possible. And I think that theme of believing is seeing is what these these miracle stories are all about, especially Jesus walking on the water. If you want to see, you have to believe. And what you believe will determine what you can see. And if you hear an echo of Mike's sermon from a couple of weeks ago about the parables, where he said that how you hear determines what you hear, that's intentional. I think the miracles are the, the acted out, um, live action version, so to speak, of the parables, where faith is the key to understanding and to receiving what God is revealing. So, um, why do I say that? I say that because, look at verse 52, if you're looking at your Bible. Now, I realize we all lost an hour of sleep this morning. So, I apologize in advance 
that there's going to be a little bit of jumping back and forth scripturally. And maybe it's too much to take in with, if we just had one more hour, right? Um, verse 52, it says that the disciples are utterly astounded by Jesus walking on the water, but then it gives the reason, verse 52, before or because they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So they had missed something about the meaning, the significance, the revelation in the miracle of the loaves, and they had missed it because their hearts were hardened. And in the Bible, that's, that's a way of, one way of describing someone who doesn't have faith. Right? The opposite of, of having a hard heart is having a heart of flesh and having the Spirit of God in us, having faith, being born again, being able to see the spiritual in the midst of the material, being able to see God at work, and they, they don't have that. Uh, this is the, the first time where Mark has been critical of the disciples, and he's going to be critical of them several more times before they get, we get to the end of the gospel, because they, they lack the eyes to see what Jesus is doing in their midst. So without faith, we actually miss the point of the miracles. I think we often get embroiled in, did it really happen? Can miracles really happen? And we get sort of uh, into these arguments and into these defenses where we're, we're only talking about the fact or the event, and we, in doing that, completely miss the purpose, the point, the revelation. The problem that they had was unbelief, which means the solution would be to look at this with the eyes of faith. Um, sometimes people say, I'd believe in God if he made himself more obvious. No, you wouldn't. They watched him walk on water, and they were heart of heart. They watched him feed 5,000, and they were heart of heart. The people watched him do miracle after miracle after miracle, and, that, and when push came to shove, they cried out, crucify him. The, the, the problem is not more data, right? Seeing's not believing. Believing is seeing. You need God to do something in your heart. So believing is seeing. What, so what did they miss, right? What did they miss about the loaves? Because that's, that's what Mark's critical of. I think they miss that it's not about the mere fact of the power of Jesus to do the miracle. It's that the miracle was supposed to reveal to them the person behind the miracle. Who Jesus is. Not just what he's able to do, but who he is. What his identity is. And I say that because if you look at verse 34... So you have to go back a little bit, go to the, um, the feeding of the 5,000. It says in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and then it begins the story of the feeding. So I think what they missed was Jesus was intentionally in this miracle living out the prophecy of Ezekiel 34 where the prophet talks about God himself coming to be the shepherd of Israel to gather them to himself to, to um, put them on the fields and the mountains of Israel and to feed them in abundance. That's what actually this miracle is all about. It's not about, hey, can Jesus feed 5,000? Well, what about 6,000? Well, what about 10,000? It's not about how much power Jesus has, it's about who he is. So just, just briefly listen to these verses from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses five, verse five and six. So they were scattered, the people, because there was no shepherd. 
and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And then if we jump down to verses 29 and 30, through uh, 31, it says, <clears throat> I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. And he talks about himself being the shepherd who's going to do this work. God himself, he's not going to appoint someone else primarily. He's going to do this. And so Jesus coming and fulfilling this prophecy is Jesus' way of revealing to his disciples in some mysterious, not really sure how to define it way, that Jesus is the Lord, the one true shepherd, the God of Israel, come to restore his people. And isn't, isn't this the message of the gospel? Uh, in, in this passage, it says that he's going to make a covenant with them, that he's going to deal with all their enemies and gather them to, to himself. That's what the gospel is all about, that God makes a new relationship with us, that he deals with our enemies of sin, flesh, and the devil, and that most importantly... He draws us to himself, that he begins a new and right relationship with us through what Jesus has done. So in the miracle of the loaves, what they missed was Jesus, right? They saw his power, but they missed his person. And that's the most important thing. That's what they were made for. They were made to be in fellowship with God and to worship him. In the Isaiah reading, it said, um, God says, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That's what human beings are for, to know God, to love him, to worship him. So that's what they missed. I was listening to Stephen Fry, the atheist um, actor. He's also a, um, an author. He's written three books of the Greek myths, kind of retold for modern listeners or modern readers. And the way he describes the myths is like this. He says, the arc of the Greek myths follows the rise of mankind and our battle to free ourselves from the interference of the gods. Now, I think the, the myths in the Bible are totally different things, but I think he would say the same thing about the Bible. That really what the Bible is a story about is us human beings getting to a point where we transcend God, where we no longer need religion, where we no longer need mystery, where we no longer need to believe before we can see. And I think that's absolutely totally backwards. Are you ever, but do you ever fall into this way of thinking? I know I do. When I get focused on that question, well, how did this miracle happen? Is it possible? And all these sort of like material, physical questions rather than seeing the deeper reality that God is revealing. Or when you get obsessed with finding the quote practical application of a text, which was what I was doing as I was trying to prepare this message. I'm like, what is this? How does Jesus walking on the water help me to be a better dad or a better minister of the gospel or whatever? And, and that's a good question to ask, but when, when we feel like there's nothing that the Bible can say to us unless it's very pragmatic, then I think we've fallen into that sort of functional atheism, if you will. But the Bible isn't about primarily how God wants us to live. It's about God. It's about God. It's about God drawing us into relationship with himself. It's about the fact that human beings can only be content and full of joy and hope and peace if we know God. That's what it's ultimately about. Because what you believe determines what you see. So we have to read with the eyes of faith. The uh, Orthodox Church, 
on the feast day of St. Mark. They say, come, let us praise Mark, the herald of the heavenly mystery. Yes, amen. That's what's happening in the miracles. It's the revelation of a mystery. Okay, so back to walking on the water. Having looked at the loaves, now we know what to expect as we come to the miracle of walking on the water. And I think by faith, we see that the transcendent creator, the ruler of everything, is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, I want to say it's not primarily about ability. There are stories from the ancient world that Xerxes, the Persian king, walked on water, and that Pythagoras, the Greek philosopher, walked on water. But the debate is not whether the miracle happened. The debate is what does the miracle mean? That's the problem. That's the question that we want to get to. It's not about his power only. It's about how that power reveals his person. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, why do I say that? He goes uh, walking on the sea, and then he meant to pass them by. That's an interesting phrase, verse 48. Uh, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. That's strange, because it sounds like at first he saw them making headway painfully, they were having a tough time rowing across the lake, and it sounds like he's going out, and it sort of sounds implied he's going out to help, right? But then it suddenly says he meant to pass them by, as if he was never actually going to engage them. He was just going to go over to the other side and surprise them and be there already when they arrived or something. And Matthew, I think Matthew doesn't fully understand why Mark said that, because he actually leaves it out in his version of this story. He just says Jesus was walking on the water, and he doesn't say he's going to pass them by. So, What does it mean that he's going to pass them by? If we again look to the Old Testament, I think we find our answer. In Job chapter 9, Job is talking to God, and this is how he describes him in chapter 9. Verse 8, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. And then verse 11, behold, he passes me by. I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Perceive him. Passing by is not preventing them from seeing Jesus. It's actually revealing to them who Jesus really is. The Lord, the one who tramples on the sea. He is the transcendent God, the creator, the ruler of everything. Exodus 32 and 33 and 1 Kings 19. You remember when Moses said to God, I want to see your glory. And God said, you can't see my glory, but you can look on my back. And he hid him in a cave. And do you remember what it says? And the glory of the Lord passed him by. In 1 Kings, same thing happens. Uh, he, he hit him, he hit Elijah, and the glory of the Lord passes him by. Passes him by sounds like hiding, but really it's revealing. Jesus is passing them by and showing who he truly is. The God we praise, who Moses and Elijah could not look on, is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That's that's the heart of the mystery of faith. That the God who made everything somehow came into our world and reveals himself to us in Jesus. If, If I could use an analogy, I was thinking about this. It's like an eclipse, right? When you have when you have an eclipse, what's the number one thing you're supposed to not do when there's an eclipse? Don't look right at it right? You have to use a pinhole camera or special glasses that allow you to look at it, right? Except for, there's one exception. Do you know when? 
when it is actually a total eclipse. When the moon completely and totally eclipses the sun, you actually can look at it with the naked eye. And that's what's happening with Jesus here. With Moses and Elijah, you need a pinhole camera. You can't look directly at the glory of God. But Jesus, his humanity completely eclipses, so to speak, his divinity so that we can actually look at it and we can see the glory. That's why in the, in the ancient um, images of Jesus, often he has, he has an overshirt and then underneath he's, he's got a purple shirt underneath his like, cloak that's like brown or green or whatever. It's a way of showing that his, his glory is hidden, but you can look at him and you can see God. So this one, that's what we're supposed to learn about the, the walking on the water. We're supposed to see this is some mysterious way. And I know it sounds normal to Christians, but this is insane, guys. The maker, the creator, the ruler of the universe who is eternal and self-sufficient and everywhere and always possessing all power, who needs nothing and who is neither made up of parts or passions, somehow came into the world in Jesus. And this is reinforced as in Jesus' own words. I'll look at verse 50. So he comes to them. They are they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. They think he's a ghost. And they cry out. They're screaming. And for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. That that phrase that we have translated there, it is I, is the Greek words, ego eimi, I am. Now there's some scholars, you're going to read a commentary on Mark and they're going to just go, oh, that's just too cute by half. You know, it can't, it can't be that simple. But I mean, I think with the eyes of faith, Jesus is, is trying to reveal something to them that their hard hearts can't yet receive, but that he so desperately wants them to know that he is the Lord God and that he has come to reveal himself, to give himself to them, a glimpse of God to them so that they can know him and be brought back into relationship with him. And so he says, I am. Fear not, I am. Just as he said to Moses in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it says, uh, I am the one who is. That's burning bush, right? It's a revelation of God's presence. That's what Jesus is doing when he walks on the water. He wants his people to see him because that's what we're made for. We're made for relationship with God. But we need the eyes of faith to be able to, to see it. This is at the heart of the, the mystery of, the, of our faith, that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, died for our sins and reconciled us to God. That because he's man, he, he offered a sacrifice that would be efficient for us, but because he's God, he offered a sacrifice that is sufficient for all of our sins. Our articles say that. The Godhead and manhood were joined together in one person, never to be divided, whereof is one Christ, very God, very man, who truly suffered, was crucified, died, and buried, to reconcile his Father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of men. Jesus Christ came to be what only God could be, the Savior. So the point of these miracles is not don't get sucked into the, how can miracles happen? Do miracles really happen? Uh, don't get stuck on the surface, right? The people were stuck on the surface. They were impressed how much bread there was, y'all. God, Jesus, give us more bread. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to give you bread. I came to give you me. He came to give us a glimpse of God so that, that our, we would get a taste for God, right? 
and long, like the psalmist, Psalm 27, verse 4, that one thing I ask and, and I seek after the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's what we're made for, and that's what Jesus in this revelation is, is he's priming us for that. He's giving us a taste of that. He's, um, in, in a mysterious way, he's drawing us into that reality. But we need faith to see it. Because I, I know all this sounds maybe just a little too fantastical, right? Little, this isn't, this isn't how you read a normal book. This isn't a normal book. This is about the revelation of God. And believing is seeing. Seeing is not believing. So as you go on throughout the rest of our study, as we read about the miracles of Jesus, don't get stuck on the surface. Try to ask yourself, seek the Lord and say, Lord, what are you revealing about Jesus? And and most of all, ask the Lord to give you and to give us, give our church a hunger to be in his presence, like Psalm 27. Uh, A recognition that this is what we're made for, to be in fellowship with him. And to delight in the fact that he reveals himself through the Bible, that he come and, and he meets us when we come to worship, and that he meets us at his table. He promises his presence to us. That's what we need, and that's what we're made for. So this week, as you go, try not to fall back into thinking, seeing is believing. Challenge yourself. Ask the Lord to give you the eyes of faith and live your life. Try to see him at work all around you, revealing himself to you, because ultimately, believing is seeing. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we want to look on you like that eclipse. We want to see you. We want to be drawn up into fellowship with you, desire for you, love for you, and out of which flows obedience to you. So Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship together and hear from your word and pray together and encourage one another and come to your table, that you would give us a glimpse, give us a taste of you and help us to see your many works in the world, and all the ways you seek to reveal yourself, but most of all, how you revealed yourself in Jesus. God, give us deep, abiding faith in him. We pray through his name. Amen.